This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. So the clock says 10 past the hour of 10 o'clock. And it's time for us to talk about another really worrying issue. And that's erratic weather patterns and the flooding in uh, KwaZulu-Natal. And from what um, the weather agency is telling us is that we should expect more rains in the coming days and certainly in the remaining weeks of summer. And so the question is, you know, um, when we have these meteorological warnings periodically, and we are expecting uh, violent summer rains and winds. I think even last year there was a, a tornado in KZN towards the end of the year. Um, then what is it that city planners need to understand? Um, what is it that environmentalists need to share in terms of data? And then what can the city council of Eteguini and the various other district municipalities do to build better? Because we can't be in a situation where every year there's flooding in KZN and the kind of flooding that has led to such mass destruction. Today is the start of the school day and there have been concerns whether or not um, schools are fit for purpose whether or not they're lying on wetlands. And if there's a storm through the day, would that compromise the security of children? We've been assured that all is well, but those are now very real concerns. And I think we need to talk about this. But having said this, I also just want to expand this a little bit more and say, obviously, uh, KwaZulu-Natal and the city of Durban, Richard they sit on the east coast of South South Africa. um, And Just this week, those heavy rains not just pelted the east coast, but they've pelted the Indian Ocean islands of Reunion and Mauritius. And what we're told is in Mauritius, they've actually had to shut down the island over the last 24 hours because of a tropical storm, Cyclone Bilal, that has wrecked havoc in Mauritius. Uh, uh, Roads cracked open, uh, huge, huge flooding of main roads. Um, and and damage to properties as well. So that is a tourism island. Uh, it's also an island where many people live and work, of course, but there's been major, major destruction. So I think this is a weather pattern, not just in the KZN area, but I somehow think in that whole Indian Ocean uh, region of the southern coast of Africa. And so with those words, I'd like to invite uh, Professor Guy Midgley, the Acting Director of the School for Climate Studies at Stellenbosch University, to join us now. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I'm not a geologist. I'm certainly not a meteorologist. I'm not a climate specialist. But even I can say something is not right in the East Coast. (laughs) I think your introduction was very apt and very uh, accurate. Uh, I think we're learning very, very fast that climate change is coming at us through the medium of extreme events and testing our systems. And we have to learn very fast about how to respond because this is the the kind of front lines of of the battle that we will be waging against uh, climate mm. or climate resilience for the next three to five decades at least. So this is going to set this, the tone for sustainable development in yeah. 
Southern Africa for decades to come. You know, and as you say, the East Coast seems to be the front line because if we think Mozambique and certainly cities like Maputo, Baira, they all sit on that uh, eastern coastline. And we've seen cyclones, Idai, damaging um, the interior of Mozambique, not once, but twice or three times. And now similar things are happening to Durban, and it's just happened to the island of Mauritius. What makes the East Coast, what makes this Indian Ocean coastline very susceptible? The issue is that uh, there's an interaction with with water vapor that comes in and energy and storms that come in off the Indian Ocean. And we've been warming the oceans now for decades through enhanced greenhouse gas and through greenhouse gas emissions. Mm. Um, and uh, about 90%, more than 90% of the additional warming in our biosphere is actually sitting in the oceans. Uh, it's only about 4 or 5% that sits in the atmosphere that we sort of perceive of as climate change. So there's a huge amount of additional energy in the oceans. And that uh, oh, this wow. year is, is at the surface. And it is driving these extreme events because of the enhanced evaporation and uh, the oceans aren't absorbing as much energy as they traditionally do. So that's what gives gives you these deluges. But there's also a very important human element and management element, for example, in the Clip River Ladysmith floods. It looks as though there may well be an element of a lack of maintenance of the Mm. dams in that system which allow the system to respond to these extreme events. Those, right. th- th- that okay. system was designed for that. So there's an issue there with regard to engineering, maintenance, and uh, we, we, we are creating these problems to some extent through, mm. through inadequate management. Okay. We will well. talk about the human element in a moment. I think it's the more significant uh, part. I'm just still interested in the weather in the weather patterns just so that we understand what's going on and my little knowledge of geography class was that yeah. the indian ocean is a warm ocean it's got warmer currents unlike the atlantic ocean so if a lot of those um shifting pressures are being carried through the ocean then it would make sense that an ocean with warmer waters is then creating mm. this kind of um instability shall i call it that <laughs> We, we experience the Indian Ocean as warmer uh, because in South Africa, our east coast is warm while our west coast is cold. Mm. But it doesn't mean that the Indian Ocean as a whole is warmer than the Atlantic Ocean. I see. Um, but there's a very, very important link between the Indian and the Atlantic uh, at, the, at the Southern Cape. The Indian Ocean occasionally feeds warm water into the Atlantic. And that warm water moves north and it contributes to warming up Europe. So the, the, this is an example of how the planet as a whole is linked by what the oceans are doing. And uh, so this this is why it's a global problem. We cannot tackle it individually as, as countries. Of course, countries have to act uh, because that's, that's, where, that's where legislation happens. Okay. But we are dealing with a global interconnected system and we have to have an international collaboration, cooperation. Okay. To, and, for, for everybody's benefit. And this yeah. helps me understand why marine ecology is now becoming a big part of the climate change discussion as well. Well, the, uh, the oceans are absorbing about uh, 30 to 40% of our, our emissions of CO2, and that's causing the acidification of the oceans. That affects the food web in the oceans. It can have very significant effects on, on coral reefs. So our our actions in developing and using fossil fuels is degrading the ocean environment very substantively. And that is why we have to move away from 
fossil fuels because right. the oceans, seventy uh, percent of our the coverage of right. our planet, uh, okay. they're massively important in protecting okay. us against climate, uh, the worst effects okay. of climate change. And you've now also explained to us why the coastal areas are now very, very vulnerable. It had never been clear to me. So outside of what Mother Nature is doing in terms of the wrath of Mother Nature, you then say there is the um, uh, the anthropogenic uh, behavior of human beings, human commerce, big industry, uh, as mm. we emit these greenhouse gases, and there's also the, the there's also the failure uh, to build better. So, help us understand mm. how these two factors come into play. Well, we've got two big systems interacting. If you think about it from a very top-down view, we have an ecological system, which is what drives the sustainability of our environment. And we tend to take that for granted. That's what gives us fresh water. It's what regulates river flows. It's what, it's what keeps the food generated. That's the ecological system. And then we have an economic system, which we invented <laughs> as humans. And we are so successful that we dominate the planet now through this economic system. And we have to find ways of making sure that the economic system does not damage the ecological system. So often we prioritize economics and it is short-sighted view. We have to prioritize the ecological side of things because without ecology, we might as well uh, throw in the towel <clears throat> and uh, revert back to uh, you know, a, 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 a much less developed society. We have to get the ecological system and the economic system operating mm-hmm. together. And uh, that requires some really strong, new, novel thinking and um, Bringing okay. business into the solutions, because the, the way that business operates very often tends to work against the ecological system. All right. So the economic system and the ecological system have to complement each other and have to work well. So what we're seeing in KwaZulu-Natal is, now I'm just going to read it verbatim, is uh, low-pressure systems that are coming over this area. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1987, we saw floods in the province claiming the lives of 506 people after 900 millimeters of rain over just a four-day period. In 2019, similar weather pattern led to 170 millimeters of rain resulting in mudslides that then claimed the lives of 80 people in just a matter of a day or two. And um, then we're starting to see similar things happening just in the last year alone. And so um, there are at least 40 instances of flooding in South Africa, and the majority of those are in this East Coast area and the KwaZulu-Natal area. So to what extent is it just Mother Nature, and to what extent is it um, the economic system, the human behavior, how the cities Mm -hmm. have been built, how the engineers have built? That's a very, it's a brilliant question. Um, It's a combination, uh, always. And part of it, the issue is how we build cities and how we uh, arrange cities to remove excess water rapidly. But the, there's a very important other part that we often forget, is how we develop and how we manage the vegetation, the ecosystems around our cities. So you'll find mudslides are often caused because of deforestation or removal of vegetation to create space for, for human settlements, for, for new developments. And that sets the system up for erosion. Those east coast soils are quite erodible. They're very similar to the Madagascan soils, which are also very erodible. 
And if you strip away the vegetation or you reduce the cover of, uh, you reduce the resilience of those, those natural systems and you get an extreme event, it can drive the, you know, the, the movement of soil and, the, and landslides. And those, I mean, we've seen this all over the world. Even California, the richest, <laughs> the richest uh, part of the world, suffers landslides uh, under extreme rainfall events that can bury people. So this is not necessarily a developing country issue. This is a global issue. And uh, we have to wake up and get it sorted out because uh, the solutions are within our grasp and we understand what to do. But it requires the interaction between city planners, town planners, ecologists, uh, hydrologists, uh, people who understand river flow. They all have to be working together, the uh, atmospheric scientists, the weather people, we need a strong South African weather service. Our weather service is phenomenal in predicting events beforehand, but we have to get those predictions into towns and cities so that the planning can take place as well. So we have mm. to get that, the, this, these, these uh, groups working together and operating together. Okay, so um, what has happened in KZN? Because what we do know, you know, it's very hilly, the land of a thousand hills, the Drakensberg is somewhere around there, the ocean is on the other side. So a lot of KZN sits in valley type areas, okay, low-lying areas. And a lot of those lands, we're told, are also swamplands. Uh, And then you say when you add to it removing trees so that you can build on a hilltop or on a hillside, you start to create additional problems. So what do we need to know about the ecology of the area and then what people are doing to settle and resettle communities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, also another very, very important question. Uh, A lot of the KZN uh, region is actually grasslands and uh, they're maintained by by wildfires. And uh, grasslands, grasses uh, are not... You know, they can have very decent root systems. <laughs> very important in stabilizing the soil. You don't only use forests to stabilize soil. Grasslands are also very important. Mm. So the way that those grasslands are managed, how they're burned, how they're grazed, uh, you know, how we plant forests. You know, a lot of forests are planted in KZN, eucalyptus, and, and, and other species for, for forestry. It's enormously important that the way that the land is used in, in a patchwork is... Uh, is aligned with climate resilience. And mm. uh, we, we are learning that very, very fast now. And that requires new kinds of thinking, new kinds of planning. And we need to train, uh, you know, our universities need to be training people with those abilities and they need to be feeded, uh, fed into mm. the, the town uh, city planning environment yeah. in, in, order to, you know, in order to get these systems to become more resilient. Right. And we've got to do it pretty fast. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. It's not based on science. It's just based on anecdotes and what we observe. So yesterday there was a terrible storm in Johannesburg and I personally Mm -hmm. was caught up in that storm and there was a little bit of hail. But within minutes, the water levels on the road surface were very, very high. And uh, by the time the storm had passed, all you could just see were mini rivers flowing on Winnie Mandela Drive, um, on Uranium Roads, uh, on Vitkopen. You could just see just see it. And cars were stopping because they weren't sure if they could wade through these mm-hmm. water levels. And the first thing that came to my mind is we don't have proper storm drainage. And I wonder if that's true for cities like Durban as well, because it appears to be so in parts of Johannesburg. 
That's that's a, an excellent point. Uh, you know, I've been looking at the situation in Japan recently because of uh, you know they, they have built under many of their cities the most incredible drainage systems that are able to remove water, say from a tsunami, quite rapidly. And uh, what this requires is underneath the city uh, having the ability to drain water from the surface because a lot of what's involved in building a city is you you create these hard surfaces for roads and they don't absorb water so they flood off and you you get this real increase in uh, surface flow Uh, and you've got to you've got to get that water to go somewhere and preferably get it underground as fast as possible into the soil but also nature-based solutions is another part of the solution so if you could create softer uh, sidewalks with trees, with grass cover versus just concrete, concreting and tiring everything, you would you would build some resilience in there. And then you've also got to try to create uh, areas where water can collect safely, like little flood uh, you know, uh, uh, wetlands in the city, around the city, which can absorb uh, and act as a sponge. Mm. So it's, it's a question of designing our new cities uh, as we, and, and Africa's urbanizing very fast. Mm. We have to design this urbanization process in a way that absorbs extreme events. And we've got to anticipate what's going to happen in 50 years. Mm. We can't design for today. We have to design for 50 years from now, at least. Uh, Otherwise, we will set those cities up to fail. And Mm. we are currently in that situation where our systems are failing. Okay, and, and so we're talking. We have to learn. So we're talking yeah. public infrastructure. So we're saying in public areas, um, like roads and highways, we need to see more greenery around those spaces, so that when there is a major storm like that, the water floods either into the storm drain beneath the road or into these bushes where the soil can absorb the water quickly. It's those kinds of issues like greening the city. And it's how we also build our own properties in these residential estates. When people are saying, plant more trees, it's not just aesthetic. It's not just going to cool around, create uh, coolness around you. It's also about making sure that you're not having rising water levels in your backyard. Trees, uh, but you know, the right trees, the right species, but also the grasses. They're also extremely good at absorbing and releasing water. I was in the uh, Drakensberg in December and uh, up at Vitsi's Hook, uh, working there mm-hmm. with, a, with a team, and we had extremely high rainfall uh, for a day. And the next day, all the water had been, had, had been, uh, w- was down in the rivers, and, and there was no erosion. It just, uh, those systems, those beautiful grasslands are really able to cope with those extreme events. We've got to learn from nature's resilience and build that into mm. our cities. Okay. So there's so much, you know, we've got incredible resilience in mm. our natural ecosystems around us. And we take them for granted. Yeah. They are worth billions of rands to, uh, to the economy. We have to get business to wake up and realize this value and train the people to enable, you know, to entrain this value to the design and, and building of our cities. Okay. They will make better cities. Okay. It, it's going to make lives better for everybody. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a really a green uh, future is a, is, a, is a future that's better for the human spirit okay. as well so, as uh, our resilience. So that's the role of property developers, business, the financiers of real estate. What about the role of municipalities? Because ultimately they have to maintain a lot of the public infrastructure. And in KwaZulu-Natal, we know that this has been... 
uh, lacking. And we even know that the in Eteguini itself, that municipality, they've run out of money. So uh, unless disaster management uh, kicks in from the National Treasury and COCTA, uh, we have an even bigger problem here. Yeah. Look, I think this is a ridiculous situation. You can't run out of money. Uh, national government needs to make money available for municipalities to operate. Uh, but I also I'll point out that what's the unemployment rate in many of these areas? You've got 30, 40 percent of people sitting without jobs or without formal jobs. Um, why not? Why doesn't government make money available to municipalities to create jobs in uh, climate resilience? Uh, design, you know, employ people in in clearing, uh, you know, in, in in helping to increase the resilience of these ecosystems, in, in, in clearing away alien invasive vegetation, in uh, cleaning up uh, the, the waterways so that they don't block uh, river flow. We've got a lot of people who could be employed in those sorts of areas and learn at the same time about how to create these resilient cities. So this mm. is a, it's a massive opportunity that's going missing, in my view. Yeah, okay. I think this is still a subject we can uh, explore uh, because unfortunately and tragically we are expecting more rains and with more rains where the infrastructure is already dilapidated or destroyed, it, it just is a terrible foreboding for Eteguini and KZN. But let's keep having these conversations about how to build better, how to maintain infrastructure, how to build differently. After there's been a damage, it's a chance to do it better, and also how to clean up the city so that uh, storm drainage is not clogged up. And those are just small jobs, not necessarily adequate jobs, but things that can keep citizens busy and create a climate consciousness. Thank you, Guy Midgley, Acting Director of the School for Climate Studies at Stellenbosch University. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.